Welcome to our Into Beef November podcast. I'm Jeff Sherfield, your president-elect and host. Today we have a special guest, Carson Sleep from South Dakota. Carson and his family ranch there, and I have followed their videos on YouTube for several months, and I think uh, you all find our conversation quite interesting. Welcome, Carson, and let's start with, please tell us where you're located and a general description of your operation, your family, size of acres, crops, and number of cows, etc. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, So we're located in the northern Black Hills of South Dakota. We're west of Spearfish, South Dakota, probably six or seven miles right on the South Dakota-Wyoming border. Um, so we run a commercial cow-calf operation. We have about 550 mama cows, and then we run about 200 yearling heifers over the summer and calf them out as well. And then we've got about 12,000 private acres, and something unique that we kind of do is run our cattle on for service grazing permits or leases up in the Black Hills National Forest over the summer. So those leases altogether, we've got four of those and it's about 45, 40,000 acres that we run our cows on. And then we put up a lot of hay to feed over the winter. And usually that's just alfalfa. We do some winter wheat, some small grains, um, rye, winter rye, and some peas, oats and peas. And that's that's usually about it. Every every so often we're able to grow a little bit of corn on our irrigated, but it doesn't do too great out here usually. So your ranch is a it's it's a family operation, so it's it's not just you. So you tell us a little bit about, you know, the family been running this operation. Yeah, you bet. So my family moved out here and settled in South Dakota in 1883. So I'm the sixth generation on the ranch. My grandpa and my dad are still on the ranch now, so I'm working with them. And then I've got the seventh generation on the way right now, coming the end of November. So working with family, it can have its challenges, but it's it's definitely very rewarding and and a lot of fun just to, you know, go through the hardships and the and the good times together. But we just we feel really grateful to be able to have that family aspect and my, I have two older sisters. They're they're pretty involved too. Um, yeah, and a lot of our aunts and uncles are around the area, and they come and help now and then, like during Roundup when we get our cows out of the out of the Forest Service grazing permits in October. Lots of family usually comes along for that or for branding and, and just kind of the big the big days. They like to come along. I think you said you. Uh, had 40,000 acres of Forest Service lease, is that correct? Yep, yep, that's pretty close. And that's divided up into how many different leases? Yep, so we've got four different leases. The smallest one is 5,000 acres, and then then another one's about 10,000, and then two are between 15 and 17,000 acres. So those, they all just kind of vary with how many cows we can have on them. The 5,000 acre one, we, we actually run on that permit with a couple other guys, I think we only have like 30 head on that one. And then the 10,000 acre one, we've got about a hundred head on. And then the other two, we've got 150 and then close to 200 on, on another. So. Uh, who determines uh, how many head you can put on 
each one of those leases? Is it based on a per head? Is it based on a per acre? Or who determines that so you know what you can put on those? Yeah, it's, it's kind of unique. Um, the Forest Service usually determines that. And we work really closely with them throughout the grazing season and the off season. But how they determine how many, you know, animal units we have on those permits is they really are very careful about overgrazing the riparian area. So, you know, the big open meadows with streams, they're really, the, the cattle tend to hang out there a little more. So I think in those areas, we're only allowed to take 40% of the grass. And if we take more than that, it's considered overgrazing. And then everywhere else on the hillsides, on the mountains, uh, we're allowed to take, I think it's 50, 50% of the grass. So they come up with those numbers mainly based off of the riparian areas, the big meadows that they don't want to overgraze. And then they want to leave enough grass for the, the wildlife in the area. So that, that plays a big part into it too. You know, lots of people are really surprised when we tell them <clears throat> that we've got 150 cows on 17,000 acres, which is kind of, it seems extreme, which it is. If that was private, we'd, you'd probably run, you could run a lot more animals on there, but it's just one of those things, kind of a necessary evil, I guess. <laughs> well, here in Indiana, we're probably about three acres per cow. <laughs> really? That gives you a little bit of difference in, in yeah. how they are. Uh, so I know in the last month, you know, it's been, uh, it's pretty much been, I think you probably start in October is gathering time. So can you tell us a little bit about that gathering process and, and how long it takes? I think maybe some of the folks listening would be certainly interested in seeing how far you're going to have to take those cattle. Sure. Yep. So <clears throat> something with the forest service permits and working with the forest service, they, they actually have dates on the permits and take them off. And that's usually just based off of the moisture of the year, how the grass looks up in the hills. So usually it's about the second week of June, we're able to go onto the forest service permits. And then each permit has about a, a different date that we can take them off. <clears throat> so this year was like October 8th, October 15th, and I think October 11th, the three big ones we had to get them off. So we usually spend three to four days riding each permit rounding up into like a little a little private pasture either that is ours or that we rent from somebody and we gather all our cows into into that private pasture and then two of the permits will haul out with trucks and trailers <clears throat> and then one of our permit we trail the cows oh let's see it's about it's close to 30 miles out of the hills so we'll trail them from the permit one day we go 15 miles and then we leave them for about two weeks while we gather up on the other two permits. And then we'll go back up and trail them another 14 miles. And that gets them to the edge of the edge of the Black Hills, right to where our, our ranch headquarters is. Now, I know I probably didn't alert you to this question, but, you know, when you, when you have that many acres, I'm, I'm guessing it's almost impossible to, to get them all the first time. How do you go about catching or finding those stragglers yeah that's a good good question it's what it's november 7th right now and we're we're still missing probably four or five pair um so we spend pretty much the whole month of october gathering and getting the majority of them and then 
once we left the hills, I think we still had probably 25 pair up there. So when it snows, if well, this year's been a really nice year and it hasn't snowed yet. So that's why we're kind of having some trouble finding these last ones. But usually when it snows, <clears throat> our cows know it's time to come home and get out of the high country. So they'll kind of move their way down to maybe some highways or some county roads, forest service roads. And then people driving around will see them and call call the sheriff or call the forest service and let us know about them. So we'll run up there with some some panels and our horses and try and set up a little pen and load them out. Um, just last week, we were able to go. We had two bulls running around up there. We were able to get them, which was really nice. Last year, we ended up, we didn't get our last bull last year until February. And he'd walked, I think, about 10 miles off of our permit. And he was actually on on top of the local ski resort. So we were chasing him around under the ski lifts. There were people skiing and snowboarding down the hill and he was running around and he didn't really like that. So we ended up having to kind of tranquilize him and calm him down and we got him in a pen and were able to load him up after so many months of chasing him. But it can it can get a little interesting. Um, we're always pretty grateful to have all of our cows home when we do get them. Yeah, I remember watching that particular video and I think it was pretty snowy when you finally got him if I remember correctly yeah it it was we probably had a few feet of snow and I think the day we actually got him it was it was below zero quite a ways so it was a cold day to be out riding okay I know that you use uh horses and ATVs both and so I guess maybe it's kind of a common sense kind of question well what determines mm -hmm. you know which you're using when you're working your cattle sure so up in the permits, the Black Hills are there. There's a lot of roads in the Black Hills. So if, if we're just wanting to zip around and kind of find some cows real quick, we can jump on the four wheelers and take, you know, four wheeler trails, ATV trails, and just zip around real quick, see if we see anything. And if we can't find much, we'll jump on horseback and, and go into the thicker stuff and the stuff that's not so um, easily able to get to. And and we'll ride it a lot more thoroughly. But usually when we're rounding up, we take our horses and ride the whole whole pasture first and get everything we can. And then when we're looking for strays, rather than waste a bunch of time riding a whole pasture, we'll just zip around with a four-wheeler and try and find anything. But there's there's a lot of places you, you can go with a horse that you can't go with, with a four-wheeler. So that is probably our biggest determining factor is, you know, ability to get to the cows and and chase them sometimes they get a bit of an attitude and want to take off through the really thick trees and steep thick canyons and hillsides and that you wouldn't be able to do it with a with a four-wheeler and sometimes a horse it doesn't even work you got to jump off and run them on foot but it, it usually works pretty good either way now another question that wasn't on your list but if you have to doctor a uh, an animal out on a permit do you rope those or or how do you go about medical care on those yeah that's that's a good question the up in the forest it's it's a really good environment for cattle they really stay very healthy we have excellent water excellent grass um so we don't have a ton of sick ones when we do we usually we will rope them and load them in a trailer or we'll get them We've got corrals kind of set up on our permits around and we 
we can usually get them into a corral and get them loaded up and, and treated, but, or we'll just take them off the permit and bring them home and, and we won't bring them or keep them back up there at all. We'll just bring them home and, and keep them, keep doctoring them. Right. Uh, and I, I might be a loaded question. I'm also president of the Indiana Angus Association this year. Mm-hmm. Term win in December. So what kind of bulls do you use on your commercial herd? Sure. So we AI or artificially inseminate all of our heifers. And those are, so I guess I should take a step back, but so we, we just weaned our calves once we took them off the forest. And, um, usually a lot of, a lot of people will just sell their calves after weaning, but we, we've put up a backgrounding feedlot to where we feed our calves to about 800 pounds. And then from there, we send them down to Nebraska where they get custom fed and finished. So what the bulls we use really, we try and pick bulls that have really strong carcass traits and qualities um, since we are taking our cattle all the way through to finishing. But with our heifers that we artificially inseminate, you know, we, we want to focus on a, a low birth weight as well. So just for calving knees and you can waste a lot of time and effort and energy having to pull a bunch of heifer calves. But um, the rest of our herd, we have our older mama cows. We have AI'd quite a few of them, but usually we buy just, it's a mix of Angus bulls and Semitol bulls. So we're shooting to have about a 50-50 Angus Semitol cross herd. So we just select bulls based off of that and Mainly the ones we want are ones that have strong carcass traits or EPDs. So, so you, you've told us a little bit. So you, when and where do you typically sell your calves? And I think you touched on that. So is that just your feeders? And so what about your, you know, cull cows, et cetera? Yep. So our cull, our cull cows will take, there's a sale barn, a local sale barn in St. Ann, South Dakota that we'll just bring them there and, um, just kind of play the market and get a market price there. Um, calves, last year was a really expensive year to feed cattle and finish cattle with the price of corn and everything. And it's kind of looking that way this year as well. So we're we're still kind of trying to decide what we're going to do this year, if we're going to finish all our cattle like we usually do, or if we're going to sell them here in a couple months, maybe put a couple pounds on them just from the hay that we've we've produced and that's an easy way to market our forage through our cattle so we like to utilize that if we can but yeah usually our on a normal typical year we would market all of our beef finished and then they would either be sold to somebody like Cargill or JBS down there through through the feedlot in Nebraska where they get custom fed quite an operation uh now you know, I only have 35 mama cows here in my location, and I bale 300 to 400 big ground bales. And I know sure. on one of your videos, uh, you you were talking about your hay baling and you were stacking hay. Could you tell our audience how many big ground bales you did this summer? <laughs> yeah, I can. So a typical to get through a typical winter, we usually need about 3,500 bales to feed and. You know, that's that's a typical winter, not a super cold one and not a super nice one either. Just a typical winter. This year, we had a really good year. I, I think we put up about 4,200, 4,300 bales 
which is more the last two years we had a bad drought in our area so that was actually more than the last two years combined which was a huge blessing um you know i think last the end of last winter we fed every single bale every last bale and that can just be a little stressful because it's nice to have a little carry over hay for the next year you know maybe 100 200 300 bales from the previous year that is kind of stockpiled up that you know if you're in an emergency you can you can utilize but we feel very blessed this year to be able to have you know built up our stockpiles again and get some more hay into our into our haystacks so yeah it was it was a very good year for us for sure and finally carson could you tell us a little bit about your youtube channel because that's actually how i i discovered you I actually follow a couple other places but you know it's just i find myself staying up way way past my bedtime <laughs> some of those videos so but yeah. but tell our folks that that might I, I think they would learn something from watching those tell us about those yeah thank you jeff um so I, I started the youtube channel about a year ago just kind of as a fun way to well there's a there's a big gap between producers and consumers and i kind of wanted to bridge that gap there's a lot of misconceptions about how you know beef is raised and and the people raising beef, how we treat our animals, how we treat the land. There's just a lot of misconceptions out there. And I was kind of, I found myself getting frustrated by it. And partially it is on producers' shoulders to, you know, bear that weight and be vulnerable and, and show what we actually do. And a lot of people don't really want to show what they do. But I just thought it would be a good opportunity, not only for ourselves, but just for the you know, American beef industry as a whole to show how, you know, beef, their beef is actually produced. So it's kind of a space where I can, I can show that to people who maybe have no idea how beef is raised. And it's a lot of fun to talk with people like you, Jeff, who have found the channel, who are involved in agriculture themselves. And, um, you know, just a, a cool way to see how people are doing things differently than you are to get ideas from, or to, see hey that that kid carson's doing something totally weird i am not gonna do that on our operation you know but it's uh it's been it's been a lot of fun and i've really enjoyed it so yeah the, the youtube channel oh go ahead jeff so how would i find that channel yep the channel is just called sleep ranch on youtube if you just look up sleep ranch and then we just we just post a couple couple videos a week about of just daily vlogs what we're doing Okay, well, I appreciate you coming on, uh, Carson. I know it's having been out west a, a few times, it's just so different, you know, back in the Midwest compared to, to out west. And I, uh, I just thought it would be interesting for the folks back here in Indiana and elsewhere, whoever listens to the podcast, to kind of know some of those differences. So uh, we appreciate you coming on and giving us a glimpse of how things are in other parts of the country and you can stay on here to the finish or you can actually go out now but uh i will send you the link to the podcast as soon as it goes live it'll probably be a day or two uh but i okay. appreciate you coming on enjoyed the conversation yeah thank you for having me on jeff i really do appreciate it i know you had to get up early since yeah. two hours two hours difference yeah that's okay early to bed and early to rise makes the um all right again thank you have a good day Yep. You too, Jeff. Take care. Okay. Yep. As always, uh, those of you that are listening to the pod podcast, please uh, 
share this link with other producers or non-producers so they can uh, partake in what the beef industry is like. Uh, and also we ask that you please consider if you're not a member joining the Indiana Beef Cattle Association and uh, you can call our office. We have a Facebook page and we also have a, a website as well where you can find all that information. So please consider joining and supporting the beef industry through our organization. Look forward to seeing many of you at Hoosier Beef Congress. It's coming up the first weekend in December. Uh, I think uh, and then right after that, we have all of our area meetings. And so, uh, but before that, we have Thanksgiving. So just wish everyone a, a, have a great Thanksgiving. And thank you for listening. Uh -huh.